want you to take a minute and place your hand on your heart. I want you to feel its beat. If it could speak, what would it say about itself? Is it strong? Is it good? Is it wise? Is it willing? And is it ready for what may be asked of it? You know, during Old Testament times, women had a very important role when it came to building the tabernacle. And women also played an important role in building modern day temples. And what we love the most about all of this and these women is that it has everything to do with their hearts. Welcome to the second episode of Unnamed Women in the Old Testament, a special bonus series from the Sunday on Monday podcast brought to you by LDS Living and Desert Bookshelf Plus. The Sunday on Monday podcast is a Come Follow Me podcast, and we take the Come Follow Me lesson each week and we dig into the scriptures together, and it is so fun. If you want to know more information about that podcast, click in the link in our description and sign up for a free 30-day trial of Desert Bookshelf Plus. Okay, now here's my favorite thing about the podcast and this bonus series is that each week I get to invite two of my friends to join me and we bring our knowledge and our feelings and our experiences and a little bit of humor to the table, which makes it amazing. Am I right, ladies? Yes, absolutely. Yes. It's just real and it's just us. So I'm so excited to introduce you guys to Mandy Green and Jenny Reeder. I adore these women so much. Hi, ladies. Hello. Hey. Now, Mandy Green was my original Hebrew teacher. It's where it all began. Thanks to Mandy. Back in the days. She's also she an incredible. She changed everything for all of us. Right? Because we wow. learned so much. Thank you. That's so kind. Uh-huh. It's true. And she does tours to Egypt and Europe that will blow your mind. And then Jenny Reader. Hello. Kate, Jenny hello. has, she has a PhD in women. precedes her. I mean, honestly, she's an author. Her most important book that I love is her book on Emma Smith, which is so good. It's called First. So just type in First and then Jenny Reader. And she also has a PhD in American history specializing in women. So how can we not invite her to this episode today? Absolutely. I don't know. Frontiers woman. Yeah. That's right. On the she academic knows. front. Yeah, totally. She knows her stuff. So Google both of these women, learn everything you can about them, follow them, whatever it takes, because I just love them. So. How excited are you guys about today's Unnamed Women? Super excited. (laughs) I am so excited. Did you know they existed when you were younger? Absolutely not. No, no, I had no idea. In fact, I kept thinking about Mandy on our first episode of Unnamed Women when you told the story when you were a little girl and you said to your dad, I'm done. I'm done with the church. I'm done with scriptures because there are no women in scriptures. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Let's find your dad. Wait, wait, your dad. Your dad said that? I said that to my dad as a oh, five-year-old. Oh, you said that to your dad. Okay. Five yeah. years old. She's like, I'm done with the Book of Mormon. Because There's no women. Study, it was always man. <laughs> I just man, want to give you man. some applause for that. Mm-hmm. Well, I think what's important is that that was innate. I hadn't learned that mm-hmm. from anywhere. That came from inside of me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's why we're doing this because we should be asking where are the women? And if you look, you can find them. And you don't even have to look that hard. You just have to look. And then start telling their stories. So that's what we want to do with this whole episode. This whole bonus series is just start talking about these women. So here's where our unnamed women come from today. Exodus chapter 35, specifically verses 25 through 29. Now, here is the history that you need to know leading us up to Exodus 35. So the Lord liberated the children of Israel. They crossed the Red Sea. They're living in the wilderness. And the Lord is thrilled and excited to make the children of Israel a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. In fact, if you go to Exodus chapter 19, verse six, let's go there real fast. I think this verse is so important for us to recognize the significance of it in Hebrew. 
Here we go, Mandy. I love it. So in Exodus chapter 19, verse 6, it says, And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. Now, when he says a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, it is natural for women to go, well, that doesn't mean me. I'm out. But here's something really cool. When it says kingdom of priests in Hebrew, it is actually a collective plural which includes women in this sentence. So it really means a kingdom of priests and priestesses. And I also think it's pretty fascinating that in Exodus chapter 19, it is also the first place where the Lord calls his people a peculiar people. We've talked about the word peculiar. In Hebrew, it's segola, and it means special treasure, valued property, and owned. And the children of Israel are so excited. In fact, In Exodus chapter 19, verse 8, highlight this. The children of Israel say, all that the Lord hath spoken, we will do. Like, I just imagine them cheering, throwing their fists up in the air like, we'll do it. We're in, whatever it takes, right? We want to be a kingdom of priests and priestesses. We want to be owned. They're so excited. Unfortunately, Israel ends up rejecting the eternal blessings that would come as a result of being a kingdom of priests and priestesses. You can read in Doctrine and Covenants section 84, verses 24 through 25, it says, But they hardened their hearts and could not endure the Lord's presence. Therefore, the Lord in his wrath, for his anger was kindled against them, swore that they should not enter into his rest while in the wilderness, which rest is the fullness of his glory. That's the kingdom of priests and priestesses. And then it goes on to say, Therefore, he took Moses out of their midst and the holy priesthood also, and the lesser priesthood continued which priesthood holdeth the key of ministering of angels and the preparatory gospel. Well, as a part of this preparatory gospel, he gave the people instructions on how to build a tabernacle. And I think this is important for us to recognize because Galatians chapter 3, verses 24 through 25 talks about how the law of Moses and the tabernacle will be a schoolmaster that will bring them closer to Christ. And so the Lord lays out in Exodus chapter 35 everything he needs the people to bring everything he needs the people to do and prepare to build this tabernacle. Jenny. I just wanted to add something just because it stood out to me as you read that line, the schoolmaster, Joseph Smith, this is Nauvoo Relief Society. Mm -hmm. He tells the women at their first meeting after they've created a presidency and have been instructed to keep minutes. He says, this presidency and these minutes will be a constitution to you, a living constitution. You should always follow them. And so I think it kind of sounds the same. It's this, the same idea. Oh, it absolutely awesome. is. Awesome, Jenny. Thank you for putting that in there. A living constitution, because in today's discussion about this tabernacle, Jenny's going to give us a perspective of women in the restoration, and Mandy's going to give us a perspective of women in Old Testament times, and the two beautifully match. So let's go back to Exodus 35. And in Exodus 35, the Lord is going to lay out exactly what he needs the people to bring to prepare for the tabernacle. He uses very descriptive wording about who can bring these things and who can prepare them. And so we're going to turn that over to Mandy. Mandy, teach us what the Lord needs from these people. In the ancient world, your heart was your seat of knowledge. It's very, very different from how we view it today. It's not how I feel, my emotions. It's not Pepe the Pew kissing (laughs) his girlfriend that detests him. It's your seat of knowledge. If you look at your heart, it's right in the center of your body and everything goes through that. That's actually what propels life. If you lose your heart, 
you die. And Mm. so this hardening of the heart means, and I think this is so critical for everyone today, this unwillingness to learn, to be taught, to be instructed, to take in new truth. In contrast with that, we're going to read right here in Exodus 35, verse 25, and all the women who were wise of heart. Mm. Now, this is a killer, awesome phrase in the Old Testament because, well, first of all, it's a construct, wise of heart, meaning it's possessive. But wisdom is always, always associated with a heavenly mother, the female deity. Now, in five minutes, I can't flesh that out like I'd like to, but I would send you to the Proverbs, particularly Proverbs 3 and Proverbs 8, where she talks about how she was with the Lord in the beginning and laid it all out and that to have wisdom is greater than any treasure. So these are women who treasured wisdom. And the fact that they're wise of heart means that it was in the heart. They had knowledge. They had understanding. Women who stand and act as priestesses absolutely put that knowledge and understanding into action. Oh my gosh, Mandy. Okay, so two things. Number one, we just have to teach this, that the word wisdom in Hebrew is grammatically feminine. And there is a section of books in the Old Testament called Wisdom Literature, and it is from the book of Job to the book of Song of Solomon, which we're going to go into more detail about that this year on the Sunday on Monday podcast. I can't wait. It is awesome. But just kind of put a little plug in your brain that the word wisdom in Hebrew is grammatically feminine. And not only that, it's even in the Book of Mormon. There is proof in Mosiah chapter 8, verse 20. Listen to the end of this verse. It says, for they will not seek wisdom, neither do they desire that she should rule over them. (laughs) How great is that? Wisdom is she in that verse. So cool. Okay, then second, this is awesome. I want us to just think for a minute right here. I am struck with what you said, Mandy, about the wise heart, that it can be instructed and it can take in new truth. I mean, that was so powerful because that is what's going on here in Exodus. These wise people are going to be instructed in new truth, such new truth. So men and women were equally involved in the process of what was to be brought and done. And the tabernacle, it just could not be done without the help of women. The Lord needs women. And so Jenny, I've asked Jenny to tell us about the role that women played in the creation of the Kirtland Temple and all of this stuff. I don't even know where to begin in asking you. Just hit it, Jenny. Tell us what you know. It's important to remember that Joseph had been commanded by the Lord to build a house of God. He didn't know what it was going to be for. He just knew that they needed to build a house of God. In fact, that's what they called it. They called it the house of God. So the women respond immediately and begin spinning. And Heber C. Kimball talks about how his wife, Valate, spins tons of wool, tons of material to put in that temple. And they later, I think, used it for the veils that were separating the separate parts of the Kirtland Temple. I think it's really interesting, too, to jump ahead to when the temple was nearing completion. Joseph went in the temple and found the women with their veils that they had made to hang from the temple. And he said, sisters, it's so good to see you here. Just as Mary was first at the tomb of Jesus Christ, you women are the first in the temple. Hmm. And that's significant. And I love that. It's also interesting that the women did so much more than just spin. They provided clothing for the 
workers building the temple. And there was even a, an account of a woman, I believe it was Lucy Mack Smith, who drove a wagon to the quarry to get the stone for the Kirtland Temple. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Emma, for sure, boarded the men and the people that were working on the Kirtland Temple to the point where she and Joseph had to sleep on the floor. They had other people sleeping in their beds. Okay, that's incredible. I mean, the contribution of women to build temples in any time period is amazing. One of the things I really appreciated is Jenny has a video on YouTube where she gave an incredible speech to the Maxwell Institute. One of the things that I thought was so interesting is you talked about hair art. Like hair art, literally a piece of art made of hair. Yes. Mm -hmm. It sounds so freaky. I remember the first time I saw a hair wreath in the Lion House in Salt Lake City, Utah. And someone pointed it out that it was made of women's hair. I was looking at it and I remember thinking, that is so pretty. And then one of the people who worked at the Lion House came up and said, that's made of human hair. And I was like, this is the grossest thing. And if I even, yeah. if that glass breaks, I'm out of here. <laughs> I, so I would be gagging the whole time. I can't, like you said, a stray hair, it's just like suddenly mm-hmm. unclean. Like, yeah. why would you weave anything out of hair? I mean, I find a stray hair, like hair is pretty to me, but as soon as it's stray, Oh, it's dirty and gross. Get it out. I can't even. And so tell us about that because they made things for the inside of the temple, right? They did. And this doesn't happen until later. Hair art wasn't a big thing in Kirtland or Nauvoo, but it became popular later. It was kind of a Victorian era or tradition of refinement. They would wrap the hair around wire or whatever so that they could fashion it and make it into designs. A lot of the times it looked like flowers. So you can see for my hairdo, I'd epically fail in the... Oh, no, no, no. They can make any... (laughs) This is the great thing about these ladies is that they can make beauty out of anything. It was always placed in the parlor, which I think is interesting because we find it in the finest parlors in Mormondom in Utah, which were the temple. I mean, maybe it's like a modern badger skin. So, I mean, we're using skins and hair and... yeah. Totally. So maybe there's something to that, right? Yeah, definitely. It's it's interesting because we often think of the pioneer women as being so resourceful, you know, and using everything they could and finding a use for everything. But really, this was a dedicated use to make the temples beautiful. It was an act of refinement. And Mm -hmm. I love that because they did everything that they could. So Jenny, I have a question for you because going back to all of the wording, it was so interesting in chapter 35 of Exodus, how many times it said wise heart, willing heart, hearts stirred. And I wanted to know, did anything stand out to you in conjunction with women's history and the church? What role did wise hearts and willing hearts play with the pioneer women? And I'd particularly love to know how you think Emma Smith is a reflection of a wise hearted woman. Oh, absolutely. In fact, let's go to Emma. Let's talk about her. She was the first woman to receive her temple initiatory and endowment. And that was in September of 1843. She was the first to give the temple endowment and initiatory to other women. Mm -hmm. And so I think we could claim our temple lineage as women back to Emma. And I think that's significant. That's so significant. Yeah. I would love to have one of those little charts. <laughs> right? You know, from... Why don't we have those? That's great. Well, the thing idea. is, we don't keep records of who gave the ordinances to whom. But it really is a priestesshood, right? If you're set yeah. apart and you're called uh-huh. and you're 
mm-hmm. anointing and performing, that would be right. priestess so I, in action. Yeah, I work in the Ochre Mountain Temple. And last Saturday, I was I participated in that. So I feel like that's my access to this priestesshood. So yes. um, Joseph Smith said that he wanted to make of this society, the Relief Society, a society of priests and priestesses. And Bathsheba Smith remembers that and talks about that. And she said she was there and she was one of those first priestesses, which I think is so beautiful. But those women felt so connected and so much apart. In fact, after after Newell Whitney was received his temple ordinances in May of 1842, he came and spoke to the Relief Society. This is before Emma received her ordinances, but and it's shortly after the Relief Society started. He gave this incredible sermon about how in the temple, the man is not without the woman and the woman is not without the man. You can't mm-hmm. have that fullness of priesthood without both. Well, and that's what we saw here in chapter 35. I really appreciated how often the wording was wise-hearted men and wise-hearted women. It was beautifully woven together where they both had a role. The tabernacle could not be done without both. That's significant. Well, even the word kingdom, if you look at an Egyptian precedent, it actually, there's no kingdom without a queen because the queen is the one who puts the king on the throne. If you want to look at facsimile three in your Pearl of Great Price, the queen was the one who certified that that son or that husband, whatever it was, was the legitimate king and heir. I think it's really important as women that we read ourselves into these texts. We are in a habit of being written out or read out of the text. We breeze over words Mm -hmm. and we really need to say, how would this have applied to women? Of course, women are part of a kingdom. And of course, women are weaving the temple, which is actually the work that you read about a goddess performing with her husband in the book of Job. So The weaving's really, really important. I only need five hours to talk about that. But (laughs) all of these are really powerful things that priestesses and goddesses and heavenly female beings perform. And all of it's present in this temple, in the construction, in the participation, in the weaving, in the anointings. And that thread comes through to us today, which is really, really unprecedented that Joseph Smith is pulling this stuff out is mind-blowing to me. Yeah. I love that you say that, Mandy, because I think in today's terms, we often talk about patriarchal priesthood. And patriarchy is kind of a buzzword in the world today. And people are very skeptical when we talk about patriarchal anything. But I think it's important that you can't have a patriarch without a matriarch. Like they're both required. Oh, Jenny, I am so glad you brought that up. Thank you. Okay, let's go into Exodus 35, verses 25 through 29. Let's find out how the two work together. Mandy, I'm so grateful that you brought up, we have to read ourselves as women, we have to read ourselves in the scripture. Because as I read these verses, I found myself reading them going, oh, the men probably did that. And then as I dug deeper, I found out, oh no, that is what women would have done, not men. Like women played such an important role in these verses. So a little background to Exodus chapter 35. So the Lord is calling upon all those who are wise-hearted and who have a willing heart. 
men and women. He is no respecter of persons when it comes to who will help build the tabernacle. And so in this chapter, he calls for everything that he will need to build it. So in verse 22, it's so striking. And I want to give a little background of this verse because it says, and they came, both men and women, as many as were willing hearted and brought bracelets and earrings and rings and tablets, all jewels of gold. And every man that offered, offered an offering of gold unto the Lord. Now, this is so fascinating, you guys, because I mentioned this on the Sunday on Monday podcast, episode 13, in connection to Moses leading the children of Israel out of Egypt. One of the things that you will see often is that the Lord tells Moses to tell the women, listen, before you leave Egypt, you are to go into the homes of the Egyptian women. Now, the scripture says borrow their jewels, but the word borrow in Hebrew is ask. So he says, Tell these women to go into the homes of the Egyptian women and ask them for their gold, their silver, their jewels, and all their fancy things. Now, many have interpreted this, that it was sort of like a payback for all of their years of enslavement. And it could be. However, I don't think it is. I believe that this is a foreshadowing to the tabernacle. The Lord knew he would need these specific items. And so he is making sure that the women take them with them into the wilderness. Because I'm like, why would they need fancy things in the wilderness? And I'm just wondering if these women thought, Ooh, we're going to look so good. You know, we'll have finally beautiful jewels and, and rubies and incredible things. And the Lord's like, I'll let you think that, but I'm going to need it later because God knows all and he knows what he needs. So Moses delivers the children of Israel out of Egypt. And then the Lord asks for the jewels. You would have to be wise and willing to part with these precious items. They were never for monetary pleasure or to look rich. It was always for the Lord. Now, Go with me to verses 25 through 29. And Mandy, will you please read verse 25? So this may sound a little bit disjointed because I'm pulling it right from the Hebrew. Mm -hmm. And in Hebrew, you're always going to say of something, of something, of something. So just hang with me. But I just want to give you the actual Hebrew and my poor translation of it so that maybe a word will stick out to you. And all, meaning every single one of the women who were wise of heart spun yarn with their hands and brought what they had spun of blue and purple of yarns and scarlet fine linen. Pause there for a minute. Let's mark some words in there. First of all, hand. Hand is always a symbol of power. And so these wise-hearted women had power. That's important for us to know. And they had to have had power in their heart, in their brain, in their spirit, in all of that to be able to do this spinning work. And it specifically has these colors. It's really cool. And here's what they would have known about these colors. Blue, it anciently was a representation of a godly, spiritual, or heavenly nature of a thing. So when you see blue, it's telling us that where the wisdom is coming from, It's being bestowed upon the people. And that's what the color blue will remind you of when you walk into the tabernacle. The color purple, I really like this. It's a symbol of wealth and royalty. And I thought it was cool because it's suggesting to us that God and Christ, they are the wealthiest and the most powerful. And I thought this was cool in one of my readings. It says that they will bring their impoverished people out of slavery, just like they did the Egyptians, and that they'll bring us into the goodness of life. I just, I love that idea of purple. And that we are the children of Elohim, which makes us divine and it makes us royal. Well, and heirs, right? If you're royal, you have heirs, you have gifts and titles and things that are bestowed on ones who come after you. Thank you, Mandy. Right. Yeah. The color scarlet almost always represents a symbol of the atonement of Jesus Christ. 
And then you said fine linen. And this is so interesting because fine linen was only used for the clothing that the priests wore and in the tabernacle. You would not wear fine linen as an everyday fabric like we do today. In fact, the shirt I have on is linen. I love linen. It's my favorite material. I would not have done well at Old Testament time because I would have said, I want a dress made out of that. And so it was only for spiritual tabernacle and clothing that they wore in the temple. And it was a process to get linen. It wasn't from an animal. It was from a plant. And you would never combine the two. You weren't allowed to, except for on the Day of Atonement. The priest would combine linen with wool to represent a symbolism of spiritual life and physical life and that we are being atoned for our sins. It's so cool. I just love that. I have a question. How hard would it have been in Old Testament times to come up with the colors of blue and purple and scarlet? It is hard. It is so, I mean, just the purple purple. is only worn by royalty because they're the only ones who could afford the process, right? right? That's what I was Mm -hmm. wondering. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's from mollusks. Is what yeah. I read. Like shellfish. Whoa. Shellfish. You had to grind, yeah. grind it down and to get that purple color. Wait, I mean, they it was such an to eat shellfish, were they? No, but they used it for the color purple. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Super hard to get any of these tints. So what it tell us about what it would have been like during pioneer times? I don't know entirely, but I do know this, that when I went to the John Johnson home in Hiram, Ohio, it was painted in such bright colors this is inside, like bright oranges and other colors. And they said it was a sign of wealth because most people couldn't afford to um, have paint that good. They would water it down. So it was muted. But wealth was the colors. I mean, think of Mm -hmm. inside the Nabu temple. It's brightly colored. It also represented the four elements. And so this Mm -hmm. idea of the temple being a place of transition, a place where you go from holy space holy Mm. like into the holy of holies yeah and so you're actually can commune with heaven but ascension was a big part of the original Mm -hmm. temple and so leaving behind like this sphere transcending beyond the sphere and and let me just pull this little thread and leave you to chew on it the fact that the women wove the garment that enabled that for the high priest is really significant that's all i feel I should say, but absolutely that's part of this process mm-hmm. of connection with heaven. And so women, boy, see yourself in this space. I'm so glad you said that because in Exodus chapter 28, verse three is where it mentions the people. It says the wise hearted people who sewed the clothing for the priests and you had to do it in one consistent sew. It wasn't mm-hmm. parts. It wasn't, you'd put on one side, the other side, like it had to be made of one piece of material, sewed consistently the whole way around. And women did that. So, oh my gosh, Mandy, I'm so glad you brought that up. Again, another important role that women played in creating and sewing the priestly garments. Did women in our time, Jen, in the restoration, did they do the garments? Yeah, they did. In fact, there's accounts of Eliza R. Snow and Emma Smith trying to figure out the pattern of the garments. And initially, they ditched a red stitch around the top. <gasps> now, that's, that's interesting. Cool. Yeah. I'm, wow. Because I mean, they were wise-hearted. Are, they probably right? knew. But I think it's interesting, too, that to women comes this role of covering. Mm. Like, that is so significant. And that brings us back to the atonement of Jesus Christ, to cover. Yeah. And I think, I think if we open our eyes 
and harden not our hearts, that we can understand our role. Yes, so in, said. in section and weaving 20, bodies and weaving spiritual yes. protections and reading mm-hmm. coverings of knowledge and empowerment and joy and beauty, right? We can weave things with our words and our, our actions and our deeds. It's not just, you know, a piece of cloth. Well, how much did we love that Don Perry taught us in episode two that a woman is a symbol of a temple? It was so good. Absolutely. It blew my mind. Yeah. Like we are an actual human visage of what a temple is. Like, I think that is really incredible. Wise-hearted, willing-hearted. It's all of that right here in Exodus 35. Okay. Go to a verse. I just kind of want Mandy to read these verses in her Hebrew linguistic style. So read verse 26. All of the women whose heart was lifted up with wisdom. That's kind of what I just talked about, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that means to lift up, to elevate. Yeah, it's not stirred up like our King James Version says. Yeah, it's stirred, lifted up, no, elevated. Lifted up. Sponge. That's huge. It is huge. There's why so is many huge, connotations Jenny? there. Sit on that. Jenny, because why is it huge? Because I think so often we get stirred up. <laughs> and that is seen as negative. I mean, I'm thinking of, of something that happened this past weekend where someone talked about how women get stirred up and it was so negative. Mm. But it's so different, I think, when women are entirely seeking after knowledge and understanding and seeking that from divine sources. You know what I love about that is that often when we are stirred up, it's because we are being lifted up to a new light and knowledge. There's something that bugs us about what was said or done. And we are, yeah, we're stirred up because we've just been enlightened and we are lifted up to let, let's correct what's being done here. Oh, I love that. Yeah, Jenny. I mean, passion is part of it. Like being yeah. stirred up. How do you get the momentum to be lifted up? Mm-hmm. You've got to have a lot of momentum. You've got to have acceleration and speed and loft. All of those things come into play. So again, don't just read over these words, lift it up. I love it. And there's a direct connection to lift it up also with oath making and covenants. Just put a little note in there and kind of chew on that. Okay, let's go into verse 27 and do that one for us, Mandy. And the rulers of the princes brought onyx stones and the stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate. And it was interesting that the word rulers, again, is a collective plural right there. So yes, it's not just men. But that root, nasa, is actually right in the root for lifted up. Mm -hmm. It's the word right there used as a noun. So those who have been exalted or lifted up. Oh, Oh. yeah. So good. Thank you, Hebrew. There's our Hebrew. Okay, then let's go to verse 28 because this is such a, this is the verse where I read it and I went, oh, the men. And then I read it again and studied it. I'm like, oh, it's the women. (laughs) Go. Okay, and spices and oil for the light and oil for the anointing and for the sweet incense. Women were primarily responsible for creating this oil. And I thought this was interesting. Before the early Iron Age, there are many sites that have equipment that was made of stone and wood during this period. And women were likely responsible for the household activity of grinding the olives into oil. And so the women would have brought the oil to the temple. It would have been their responsibility so that there could have been light continuously burning in the temple. I mean, that's a huge responsibility. And you, when you go back and read 
Exodus 35, and you see that word willing heart so many times. And there's, again, we could talk for hours about 28. I just think it's incredible because there's so much symbolism about it with women and the Sabbath. The Jewish Sabbath today involves, it is so female-centered. They light candles. The women light candles on their Sabbath, and then they bring in the light. They shoo the light towards them. They light these candles, or it would have been oil at this time. Then they recite Eshed Hayil, which is the proverb of a virtuous woman. It's recited to the women. It's very female-centered. And that's what verse 28 is, very female-centered here, and the role that they'll play in the tabernacle. And then we have verse 29. He had it, Mandy. And all the men and women... So there's a great one right there, mm-hmm. whose hearts were willing, who were impelled, who were willing to make the offering to bring material for all kinds of workmanship, which Yahweh had commanded to be done by the hand of Moses and the sons of Israel, a free will offering to Yahweh. And that willing heart, it just strikes me every time I read it because it makes me think about how does this apply to us today? Do I have a wise enough heart? Do I have a willing heart? I got so emotional about it this morning because I thought everyone I know in my life, they are wise-hearted women and they are willing women who are doing the hard things and they're willing to do it. This couldn't have been easy at this time for these women to weave. Oh my gosh, the amount of effort it would take to weave goat's hair. First of all, to get the goat's hair and then to weave it. It was hard. And now we aren't being asked to do that specifically. But how does this apply to us today? What are we being asked to do that is hard? And what does, role does willing play in that, you guys? Well, I think those of us who are willing to learn and be instructed to go higher, to go deeper, mm-hmm. to do the work that heaven would have us do to understand the role of women, it is very obtuse. It's not visible at all, but as we uncover in an ancient sense, or as Jenny's beautifully done in this more modern sense, the role of women and we act and stand in that gorgeous power, that's where our hearts have to remain pliable and teachable and instructive, willing to be instructed by heaven in how we should go forward because we need to crack this thing open. And I love going back to the word stirred up or being lifted or elevated or exalted because I I actually appreciate the fact that it is obtuse because it means I do my work to figure out what it means for me and where I fit into it. And it changes over time when I understand new things or I'm I'm in different situations. But I also think that it's a part of expanding definitions and Mm -hmm. not being um, in a box. It's understanding that. that I can fit in so many places that I felt excluded from. But it's my work, it's my discovery, it's my effort that reaches that stretching up and being exalted. Well, you get to define that. That's the fun part, right? That we Mm -hmm. get to explore that space. And how many of us listening right now cannot absolutely resonate with that idea that it has been changed, that we, our roles and the way we fit has been expanded. And, you know, everything I thought about my role in my 20s, so much different now in my 50s. (laughs) I'm just so grateful for the ability to change and grow and redefine. And you have so much wisdom because of your experience. Boy, I was an idiot in my teens. Well, let's look at it this way. You have so much wisdom because you've learned from your experience. 
Amen. Okay, we have to share this quote. This is from President Nelson in 2018, and I think it's so applicable to what we're talking about. It's in his talk, Sisters, A Participation in the Gathering of Israel. And Jenny, will you read this for us? My dear sisters, you have special spiritual gifts and propensities. Tonight, I urge you with all the hope of my heart to pray to understand your spiritual gifts, to cultivate, use, and expand them even more than you ever have. You will change the world as you do so. That's just what we got done talking about. Yes. So everyone listening, you have a specific spiritual gift. That is what you're bringing to the tabernacle. That is how you fit into this whole scenario as wise-hearted and willing-hearted women. Think about what your gift is and just cultivate. I love how he says cultivate and expand on what that is. And that's exactly what we've just said here today. You guys even know about that quote. You're so smart. I love you guys. (laughs) I love you. I've learned so much today. I love it. I love this connection between it. It just feels like it's all coming around, you know, Mm -hmm. between ancient and modern. And it really is. Yeah. It's been fun to hear about them because when I learned about the women in Exodus 35, it kind of just blew my mind. Like we've said, we have kind of taken women out of the story. And now how cool to think the role that women played in building the tabernacle. And as we learn about it this year in the Old Testament, we will see it differently. We will be able to recognize the role that they played and what they did so that it will be a schoolmaster for people to come to Christ. And I just think women are really good at that. We are great schoolmasters. And it is our spiritual gifts that will help bring people to Christ. So... Is there anything else you guys are chomping at the bit to say that you didn't get to say? Well, I just wanted to reiterate the fact that they said that women were the first in the temple. The precedent set by Mary Magdalene should not go unnoticed there as the first witness of the resurrected Lord, of a woman's role as a witness, as standing in holy places. And to me, that was mind-blowing. That's just Mm -hmm. huge. And we can learn a lot from her as well. She's a great person to look Mm -hmm. to. Absolutely. I love that in section 25 about Emma, it talks about how she is the daughter of the Lord and that she can receive an inheritance and that she can enter his presence. Looking at her whole life, we see how, especially at the end of her life, she actually achieved that redemption with her dream right before her death where she was in the presence of the Lord. And I love that. She's just as much a part of that as we can be. Absolutely. Amen. So beautiful. Thank you, guys. I love you both so much. That was a great discussion. Thank you. Thank you for teaching me and giving me this opportunity to learn more. So fun. I loved it. Okay. Wow. That was an incredible discussion about the unnamed women who helped make the first tabernacle. I just love learning about these women because like Mandy said, it helps me see myself more in the scriptures than ever before. I would hope that I would have been one of those wise-hearted and willing women. I really do. Now, if you want to listen to more of our Unnamed Women series, we have an episode all about Pharaoh's daughter and the women of Moses' life. You can find that episode on Apple Podcasts and on ldsliving.com slash Sunday on Monday. If you want to hear more about Sunday on Monday and our Come Follow Me lessons, you can go sign up for a free 30-day subscription at deseretbook.com slash Sunday on Monday. The Sunday on Monday Unnamed Women and the Old Testament bonus series is brought to you by LDS Living. It was written and hosted by me, Tammy Uzalak-Hall, and our producers for this episode were Katie Lambert and me. It was mixed and mastered by Mixet 6 Studios, and our executive producer is Aaron Hallstrom. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode, and please remember, oh, please remember that you are Segala, and you are God's favorite. <laughs>